By rights, we shouldn't even be here. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo. The ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end. Because how could the end be happy? stories that stayed with you, that meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Furrow, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't. They kept going because they were holding on to something. What are we holding on to, Sam? But there's some good in this world, Mr. Furl. And it's worth fighting for. almost kills himself in the most amazing way possible in Elizabethtown, but he doesn't go through with it. It's because of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl, which was, that was the original, the original Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Oh, wait, please, please tell me you guys know what this is. I, I, I do know the meme, yes. Okay, all right, all right, oh, good. I don't. I mean, anything to do with pixies, Thomas knows about, so. And there's like a, there's a, a relationship there between pixies and elves, right? Now the story of an eclectic fan base who lost touch with reality and the one podcast that somehow holds them all together. It's the Substandard Expanded Universe. Welcome to the SSEU podcast, episode 54. We have a very exciting guest here today. Unfortunately, Ryan couldn't join us and we are all terribly sad that he's not here. But uh, Chris, you're here, right? I am. We have a guest for this episode. We tried to make it happen a few months ago. Uh, Been waiting a long time. Our guest grew up in West Virginia, but has quickly adjusted to life as an East Coast elitist in New York City, where she is now rubbing shoulders with giants and rats. When she's not working at HarperCollins, she spends her time starring in black and white movies and writes primarily about pop culture. Her writing has been published in places such as the late Weekly Standard and Arc Digital, among others. Hannah, is it correct that you had a piece in the last ever issue of the Weekly Standard? I did, yes. This wasn't a Tolkien piece. It was another one, right? It was a piece that I had spent about a year doing, and uh, well, m- because I procrastinated. It was a piece about escape rooms. Chris, have you ever done an escape room? Do you know what escape rooms are? I know they are. I've not done one. Okay. D- does the idea appeal to you at all? Um, sure. <laughs> 
that's that sounds. Yeah, I thought it did. I thought it appealed to me, but then I discovered that I I don't like losing. Mm. <laughs> so, so so you're verbally uh, just ab- abusing your teammates for not getting the clues. No, the problem was they were getting all the clues, oh. and I was not getting any of them. Oh. Um, and I discovered that about myself. Uh, so you're you were the Kyrie Irving of the team. I, I mean, I was yeah. I was just I was hoping that I was the Indiana Jones, and I discovered I was not. Um, I was like the the Marcus Brody. Yeah. <laughs> I personally love escape rooms, but I found that it really matters who you do them with. So in Illinois, I had a friend group who I used to go and do escape rooms with, and it was always a ton of fun. But then I've done it with other people, and it's just not the same. And it also really depends on the escape room. Some of them can be really good, and some of them are just garbage. Some are too hard, some are too easy. And yet the gimp stays locked in your basement. Hannah Long, welcome to the podcast. How long have you been in New York City now? So I've been here since January, and it's September now. So, you know, eight, nine months, roughly. Are you enjoying it? I am. It's, it's week to week sometimes, but it's very intense. Going back to, to D.C. recently was actually really weird because I'm like, why, why are the buildings so short and why are all of the streets so wide? Because that means you can't properly jaywalk. Jaywalking in, in New York is not so much a crime as it is a culture. It's just what we do. I say we. I mean, I've been yeah, here. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. to learn this about like one week in is just you jaywalk as much as possible. So anyway, that's, that's, I guess that's my big New York takeaway is the jaywalking. But isn't jaywalking in New York City, like, you, you just step between two cars that are parked on the side of the road and you just cross, like, anywhere? A little bit, a little bit. My, my boss always says that people are intimidated by driving in Manhattan, but they shouldn't be because if you've ever driven in a Walmart parking lot, then you know how to drive in Manhattan. <laughs> Where in the city do you live? So I live in Brooklyn. I've moved across Brooklyn. I mean, the... The big problem is finding a decent trailer park. <laughs> uh, You're saying just to feel like, you know, yeah, eventually I did. It's like, uh, it's like Ready Player One. But no, the, um, <laughs> it's, uh, I, I moved, I was li- living in Williamsburg for a while, which is kind of like the super hipster, like all the hipsters. And then uh, there's an Orthodox Jewish community there too. Um, is, that the, and I, is that the epicenter of, of Brooklyn barbecue? Like where it started to take over the world? <laughs> Is, I can I can see that it, it's it, 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 I get that vibe, but I'm I'm not entirely sure what, what where the origin of, of Brooklyn barbecue is. Have you had barbecue since moving to New York City? I have. It was at like a a chicken bowl place. Uh, it's a chain. It's actually pretty good. It's called Fields Good Chicken, and I had like the the country barbecue bowl, and it was you know country was a, a stretch, some form of cultural appropriation on their part. How do you feel the- about your culture being appropriated? It, I struggle. I struggle. It's I see people sometimes on the subway singing country roads, <laughs> and I'm just like, you know, I'm not sure you have a license. Coming from Southwest Virginia, as I do, um, but uh, anyway, it's it's it, it is. Area? Huntington. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's it's close to Bristol, Tennessee. Well, Bristol, Tennessee, Virginia. It's 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 a the city on the border. But yeah, Virginia. It's a bit of a bit you're of a culture. To, you're close to Virginia. Okay. <laughs> my my friend Thomas from Finland, I'm sure, knows all about that. So <laughs> while we're on the subject of food, the, so have you seen the big apple? I, is it rotting? I've been looking. Okay. I, it it definitely feels like that when you're in the in the subway. Mainly, I've been looking for Spider-Man. I've only once spotted Spider-Man. There was 
a a man in the Spidey suit in the subway. Um, Speaking of da- Spider Man, break, break dancing. Did you get a chance to see the the picture of the Queen with Kingpin that was posted on Twitter yesterday? Oh yeah, that well that's the origin, isn't it, of the uh, the meme with you know the the absolute unit meme. I've I've seen that picture going around. Just the juxtaposition of this enormous man uh, next to the Queen. We need to put that on the Twitter account. I- I'm curious uh, if you could just tell like what are the way in which ways is it similar to your home in West Virginia? <laughs> well, so you know, this might be a, seem like a, a bit of a strange, strange similarity, but living in in Appalachia, you're geographically isolated and you're culturally isolated too. So it takes a lot more effort to to build community across that sort of distance. And here, you're isolated in a really different way. But the isolation's still there. You kind of have to figure out ways to sort of proactively seek out community. Well, you know, I, I sort of feel a little bit better prepared for it than I might have expected because I was used to to sort of the, the difficulties of finding finding people with common interests back home. And here, that, that's a little bit easier because there are just so many people, so m- many different, different things to get, go on. But everybody's living their own lives. Everybody's trying to ignore everybody else on the subway. Are you telling us that there aren't a whole lot of Whovians in Southern Virginia? <laughs> you know, not too many. Hannah, I have a question for you. You, you have met our friend Stephen, right? I have, yes. How tall would you say Stephen is? Well, I mean, I'm about six and a half feet, so you've seen pictures of me alongside him, so he's probably about eight feet tall, something like that. That, Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, that that sounds about right. Yeah, I, I actually have. So since we were talking about Virginia, I uh, I have a quiz for you, Hannah. Oh, okay. And Uh-oh. I think it's fairly easy. I try to to not make it too hard. So we have uh, we have five questions. I guess I guess if you fail a question, it can go to to Chris. But I primarily want want you to have a shot at it. Are you ready? I'm not sure, but I'll I will I will okay. attempt. It, it. It's a it's a Virginia quiz. You you will do just fine. Question one. In which town is Marshall University of We Are Marshall fame located? Mm, I know this one. <laughs> oh, I have no idea. We never went anywhere growing up, so. <laughs> Do you want to hazard a guess? Is it? No, I have no idea. <laughs> Chris. <laughs> is it Huntington? Yes. Yes. Wait a minute. Marshall University in uh, Huntington. Virginia. That's where Randy Moss I went to college. Yeah, and uh, Matthew McConaughey. No, he was just a coach (laughs) there. I'm sorry. He just coached there. He he coached Byron Leftwich. Question two. Who was the first governor of Virginia? Thomas Jefferson, right? I don't... That doesn't sound right to me. No. Isn't that... Not sure. Do you want to make a different guess? Well, are we talking about, like, the first governor of Virginia when it was a state, like, that was... Accepted into the union, or yes, it doesn't um, sound like that complicated of a question. To be honest. <laughs> yeah. No, okay. Well, I mean, Thomas Jefferson was my guess, but I'm I, I'm not sure. I, I think I'm thinking that he was president of the University of Virginia. Well, so Jefferson was the governor of Virginia, but he was the second governor. The first governor was Patrick Henry. Oh, yeah. Yes, the namesake for the most homeschooled college in Virginia. See, this is these these are the sort of things I know, like about the homeschooling colleges. <laughs> all the everything else is like, you know, civic life and 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 like sports, anything to do with sports. I'm just that. Nope, no idea. All right, because according to Hannah, uh, Marshall exists only for sports. Okay, <laughs> not, not higher learning. All right, I see how it is. 
Huh. So the, the next question was uh, submitted by a fellow uh, Virginian, Erica, who's been on this podcast together with Rick. So earlier this year, the University of Virginia won the Men's National Basketball Championship after beating Texas Tech in the final. But who did they lose to in the first round in 2018? Okay, like I said, sports, but I'm just going to shot in the dark, Virginia Tech. No. Chris? I believe it was the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Yes. Were they the, were they the Terriers? Is that right? Uh, I really need to text my dad for these questions. Yeah, it's some sort of dog. Terrier? Greyhound? I'm not sure. Retrievers. Retrievers. There you go. Hannah, you have two questions left. Not doing great I'm so far. I'm not optimistic, but go. How many, <laughs> how many U.S. presidents have been born in Virginia? Ooh, okay. Well, I mean, there's... Washington, Jefferson, Madison, Monroe. I feel like five or six, five? More. Okay, all right. Yeah, there, there were more after the initial <laughs> year. Uh, okay, ten? I'll go with ten. Okay. Uh, How many of them wore blackface? <laughs> Chris, do you have a guess? Ten is incorrect. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, so it's more than five, more than five or six? Yeah. I'm going to say seven. Oh, that's also wrong. It's eight. Okay. Uh, that was my next guess. Hey, yeah, well, you didn't have that many options left, did you? So the final question, what is the highest point in Virginia? Oh, Mount Rogers. Yes. I'm really relieved I got one. I was like, I'm, I'm going to fail this quiz. I'm, it's, it's the New York culture getting to me. <laughs> in Mount Rogers, you could see from where we live. So. Are there a lot of uh, uh, vineyards near where you grew up or is that elsewhere in, in the state? No, see, I grew up in the mountains, so okay. that was a vineyard country. It was mostly, um, I mean, there were a lot of old factories, but the factories had left, and so that sort of thing. But Hannah uh, and her family would have broken into the, the, the vineyards and broken all the bottles. I mean, to be fair, my, my grandparents, uh, well, my granddad, anyway, was a bootlegger, so... Was he really? Whoa, wait, whoa. It, it is, is kind of the meme, family business. Is this Mima's husband? Yes, though it's it, it's Mama. She Mama. Uh, he was. I mean, he helped his dad. He he was probably about ten, and his father Byron Kilby Long was a bootlegger because quote unquote that was the only way they had to survive, and you know couldn't find another job. My grandmother is very skeptical of this. She she thinks they could have found another job, and they weren't trying too hard. But yeah, one side of the family were the bootleggers. The other side of the family were the consumers. So we really kind of had the whole. <laughs> There are plenty of stories there. There was like the time my well great grandmother uh, saw the the revenuers coming, and she had some like some some moonshine on the table, so she dumped it in the mop bucket and started mopping the floor with it. <laughs> so, probably the cleanest that floor had ever been. Anyway, the revenuers overlooked it. So, Hannah, I have a question for you. Um, and this is just kind of out of nowhere. I, I was just curious if you have any new pasta recipes that um that you'd no. be interested in sharing with. With us, I know you're an enthusiastic pasta chef. An enthusiastic pasta chef. Chris, I mean, I Chris, make a lot of ramen noodles. Yeah, Chris, Chris, Chris bro, uh, this is a, this what? this is the wrong Hannah, Chris. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. It's well, that, that that sort of circles back to the the first time I entered the SSEU on Megathread, and I everyone thought I was the other Hannah. So, you know, it, I've come full circle. Uh, but Chris, there is something else that you wanted to talk about. So, friend of the show, Timothy Oliphant, uh, wrote in a correction on the on the gun stuff. Yes, yeah. 
Uh, I, I mean, I, I would honestly prefer to just, you know, have the three of us talk about guns without knowing anything. But uh, we had a correction written in uh, about the gun stuff on uh, our last podcast on The American. So Timothy, I guess, took a break from watching Christmas Town and checked out The American. <laughs> or maybe he just gleaned this information from watching Christmas Town. It's not clear. So he wrote this. Um, so a suppressor is basically like a car muffler for a gun. It works by slowing the expansion of gases from the detonation of the cartridge. This is done by channeling the gases through some sort of porous material divided by baffles. So technically, it could be made from tubes and washers. However, Clooney would need far more tools than what the movie shows. Unless that thing on the table is a drill press, which he would absolutely need. The tap-and-die setup would work, allowing it to be screwed into the original barrel. Now, some quibbles. It's a Ruger, M, uh, Mini, uh, Ruger Mini 14. The M14 was the 308 rifle the U.S. used after the World War II Garland and before the M16. Ruger developed the Mini 14 as a scaled-down semi-copy of it chambered in uh, 223. Also, nobody, and I mean nobody, expresses muzzle velocity in miles per hour, ever. It would be feet per second, or, since he is speaking with the European, meters per second. Yes! Also, suppressors... Shut up, Thomas. Suppressors are most often used with pistols because rifle ammunition is supersonic. So, though you may be able to quiet the cartridge going off, there would still be an audible sonic boom from the bullet. So Clooney probably states the velocity in miles per hour to make it clear that the ammunition is subsonic. Okay, I get that. Next, that is not how adjusting a scope works. <laughs> you can't do it by hand and not with just a couple shots. That's not accurate at all. No pun intended. <laughs> Finally, uh, though a suppressor can distort the sound and make it hard to determine where the shots are coming from, you couldn't know that if you were standing directly in the line of fire. That's just dumb for a couple of reasons, physics being first among them. Also, she was careful to pick up the spent brass from shooting at the target, but she didn't get those from when Clooney shot by the target. Nevertheless, the movie may not be factually correct, but it, it is morally correct. Oh, wait, th- no, that was my, that was my comment. <laughs> I'm saying the movie may not be factually correct, but it is morally correct. Hannah, do you have any experience with hunting? I, I assume your family hunts, right? I actually, somewhat, somewhat. My my little sister is the big hunter of the family. Actually, uh, my brother sometimes goes out and, and shoots a deer or two. I haven't killed a deer. I've killed. I mean, I mean, if if we're gonna list the animals I've killed, <laughs> uh, please count them. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I've uh, killed a rabbit, um, possum. I, I think that's really it. I haven't. I I never did do much of the hunting thing growing up. I've done some some skeet shooting, but uh, but no hunting. So. So how how long were you actually homeschooled? Like from through high school? Yeah, K through twelve. How far was the closest school? Um, about ten minutes. So, so it, it was a it was a choice. Yeah, it was religious exemption. So you can't go to school with those heathens. You you mentioned that your family is Baptist, so. Just just like Ryan's family, did you have restrictions on things that you were allowed to watch? Yeah, certain things. I mean, so, for instance, there was no Harry Potter, things like... Oh, my oh, gosh. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Because you um, you're, you're, you're a big uh, Harry Potter 
You're a big pot now. What do they call Potter fans? A Potterhead? Well, a Potter pot, pot heads? Potterheads, yeah, obviously. <laughs> no, it, it, we have all we have all been sucked into our decadent culture and and lost our you know our, <laughs> you lost your saltiness. Our purity. Um, yeah, it's it's there's now we watch uh, the Lord of the Ring. I mean, well, actually, we, we always watch the Lord of the Rings, but we we watch Harry Potter. We sometimes watch R-rated movies. I mean, I, I don't really don't know where this this is gonna stop. Do you remember where it started? Like, where? What was the source of her, <laughs> her d- decline? I mean, it was gradual. It was something where just through high school, we started to just gradually, you know, barriers barriers change when the kids kids are getting older. You get more used to things, and Harry Potter doesn't seem as scary now as it did 20 years ago when all of evangelical world was was freaking out about it. I mean, most of the kids that that read it have grown up now. I mean, plus the whole Harry Potter thing. It was a bit of an issue when I was about 11 or 12 because I wanted to read it then, but then I just forgot about it for all of high school. And I finally read it in, um, like, you know, it's my, actually senior year of high school because my dad's like, oh, by the way, you know, if you ever want to read it, it's fine. Like, I can tell that, like, you're in a, you're, you're you're old enough now to have the sort of discernment that it, it doesn't bother me. Would you agree that it is amazing that they were able to, to write those novels based on the movies? pretty good fan fiction those do you have a do you have a favorite uh, harry potter book or movie i, I do well the, i they're, they're different actually right. they're, my favorite yeah. of the books is the seventh one it resolved a lot of the issues which i had had with the series throughout just things like harry's maturity which i found i found harry really obnoxious for a long time and and i'm i'm basically i'm a, i'm by nature a hermione so i'm like why do you, he's breaking the rules and not being punished i found the whole moral universe of the series very very simplistic up until the last book which there was a lot more grace and redemption uh which sort of shaded in the the gray areas in an interesting way. The Lord of the Rings has much earlier on, but Potter doesn't really have until the final book. It sort of retconned a, a, a liking for me of, of earlier books in the series, too, because I realized that, that it was going towards a, a more nuanced moral perspective. The later you get in the series, the more mature the books get. To right, they do though. Like I feel like the plotting becomes a little bit, a little bit shakier. You can tell that she's retconning things. That like the whole Horcrux thing, um, oh she God. definitely transition. <laughs> Let's talk about something different. Okay. <laughs> do you have a remember when segment? I do, Thomas. I finally remember. Um, <laughs> okay, go on. <laughs> so the remember when segment is when I remember crazy things that happened in the past, and I remind you of those things, kind of like when the astronaut put on a diaper, and drove 18 hours. Which still didn't happen, but go on. It it was a thing that happened because I want it to happen. (laughs) Um, Do you remember on January 13th, 2018, so it's not that long ago, when Hawaiian residents received an alert on their cell phones Yes. that a ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. I was reminded of this. Um, some tornadoes came through Sioux Falls a couple weeks ago, and um, some of the sirens did not go off. And when they did, when they looked it up, it was it was due to human error, is what they said. And for some reason, that made me remember that this was totally due to human error. Like I don't know, if someone sat on a keyboard, or I, I don't know what happened. A Hawaiian residents received this terrifying, and and, and, and like I know people who live in Hawaii and. And they like post on Facebook, like, I don't know if we're going to die. I love you all. It's just I can't imagine the emotions that go through your head when you receive an emergency alert, which looks so official. Right. Um, like, how do you how would you not be like, oh, my gosh? Yeah. Like, 
North like Kim Jong Un. What what's his name? Yeah, that's it. You got it. Kim Jong Un just like decided he wants to blow up Hawaii. So anyway, that's my remember when. The alarms that we get here in Phoenix are more along the lines of if it starts to rain even a little bit, our phones will blow up with flash flood warnings and they will tell you not to drive anywhere because the roads might be flooded. And You guys did get some rain. Yeah, actually, on um, this past Monday, we got quite a lot. It, it rained the entire day. And like people did not know what to do. I mean, it's a mixture of confused... Turn on your wipers, people! <laughs> confused, scared, and excited... In a way, and I, but I still haven't seen a dust storm, which is what I'm waiting for. Like, that's, that's what I want to see. Do you remember that movie Hidalgo with Vigo? Um, it was disappointing in a lot of ways, you know, since it was a Vigo film. But there's a really uh, visually powerful dust storm in that where you could see this, like, wall of, of dust. Like, one of the only things I remember about that movie. Yeah, it's literally the only thing I remember. <laughs> oh, the the other thing I remember was the like the horses in the race that like sprinted like the first little bit until they're out of sight, and then like they they're like yeah that's just for show because like we have to basically trot because it's so far. So this week in in stupid Twitter Twitter controversies, we saw I don't even know the circumstances, but somehow some guy on Twitter um, received notoriety um, when he. Uh, do you know the origin of the story? It doesn't matter. He um, <laughs> somehow received notoriety and raised a million dollars for the Iowa Children's Hospital. Um, yeah, didn't that, he like, hold up a sign that said, I need beer money or something like okay, that? Okay. So on, on College Game Day, uh, he held up a sign and so people started giving him money. And he's like, whoa, like, somehow I got people's attention. I'm going to use this for good, not for beer. And he raised a million dollars for Children's Hospital. And so the, the journalist at the Des Moines Register decided what better thing to do with this amazing story than to dig up a, an eight-year-old tweet, a, a racist tweet from his youth. When he, when he was 16 years old and in high 16 school. 16 years old. Um, he's an idiot like we all were when we were 16 and made a racist tweet. And I have a big problem with this because – my hope for all racists is that they mature and grow up and find redemption and do really good and moral things like raise a million dollars for a children's hospital. The, 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 these Puritans, the, there is no redemption in this in this cultural religion. Um, there There is no forgiveness or redemption. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and, and be an advocate for, for, for racists. But I'd imagine this guy has grown up a little bit and – um, this th- like this is like a a dream scenario of an idiot who matured over the years, and so I'm just curious uh, if you guys have opinions on this, Hannah. I mean, I I I agree with you. I think that we so much of the of society now it, it, the uh, attention span is very short for for the news cycle, but so we we don't really have to live with the consequences of any any story. And so it, I think it, that kind of makes it a little bit easier, too, to, ju- to just immediately cancel somebody and then not hang around to see what happens. You know, it's the Pandora's box thing. You, you, you can't put it back. It's, an, it's, it's always going to be on your record now. Everybody can Google you. And so, yeah, things, things are much easier to find and things are – and just because of the zeitgeist, everyone feels like it's, it's somehow immoral to, to back away from condemning someone because of whatever. I mean, it's, it's just – it's a – we're eating each other. It's, it's yeah. really not good. Yeah. From Iowa to Mordor. Uh, so we figured that we 
would talk a little bit about uh, Lord of the Rings on this podcast since, uh, Hannah, you have a few areas of expertise. Uh, one of them is British detective shows where you, you have uh, Poirot with Kenneth Branagh, I think, as your favorite. <laughs> yes. And then the world of Tolkien. Uh, and Lord of the Rings. So we figured that we should talk a little bit about it. So I, I wanted to start with a, a, a very broad question. Why do you think Lord of the Rings is such a big deal in the culture? It's something that, I mean, you're going to talk about it on, on an enormous scale. It, it's about universal human emotions. But it is, it's something that Tolkien on, on purpose tried to create a myth. You know, he had a specific definition of that as something that was about universal and timeless problems that we face think, things like death and aging and it's like a giant eye in the sky exactly exactly stare who, at who you amongst who amongst us uh i mean you know it's what, what's a better what what better description of of mark zuckerberg and facebook could you get um <laughs> but it is there's this you know he uses he uses mythic imagery as ways to to comment on on these these universal things. And because the things that are in the, in the stories, for instance, everybody thinks the ring represents something different. He didn't intend it to actually represent any one thing because it is something that has so many universal applications. People will come in and said, oh, it represents the nuclear bomb. And oh, it, it represents death itself. It represents all of these different things. I mean, it, it actually, if it represents anything, it represents deathlessness more than death. Because of all of those applications, it really it's something that can adapt itself well to, to each new age and each new time and so you can find something new that it's saying about each era and you know the 21st century look at this story and and can find just endless endless ways that it that it comments on it from the the themes of again deathlessness and avoiding aging and the you know embracing of despair over hope and trying to find meaning all of all of these things are things that we're still talking about and they're always going to be talking about he he wrote the Lord of the Rings between the world wars, right? I should have double checked these these dates, but it, it he started the, the the Hobbit came out in 1937, and he he'd been writing that for a while. He really he started his legendarium when he was very young. It was sometimes in like you know I think 1915 when he really pinned the first first few fragments that could be considered part of it. His imagination had always been adding bits and pieces to this idea that was in the back of his head. So eventually he wrote The Hobbit and it came out in 1937 and, and did well. He, he'd kind of been promising to write a Hobbit sequel as, as it often happened with him. It got ahead of him and then it turned into a three-volume epic about small people who want to throw away some jewelry. It took him, I think, 17, 18 years to write the whole thing. It, it only came out in, um, like, across 1954 and 1955 as, as the volumes came out. He was, at the same time, he was writing The Silmarillion, which is, like, the Bible of Middle-earth. It's the, the history of the entire universe from creation up until the Lord of the Rings begins. He was busy. He was busy in that time. A lot of the things set in this universe that have been published were published after his death. Yes, they were. Largely, the, the Silmarillion, he wanted to come out for the Lord of the Rings, but thankfully, a a wise publisher got ahead of that one and and said, no, we want to we put the Lord of the Rings out first. That one's a little bit more commercial. The Silmarillion did come out not too long after his death. His son, Christopher, who was his literary executor, edited it and then put it out into the world. And so, so after that, put out a lot more of his notes and 
various his son's things. job was to kill people. Yeah, basically, basically. <laughs> that actually, I think that's that's what George R. R. Martin's job is to kill. Oh, literary, people. like in a literary sense, kill people. <laughs> so he like eviscerated them in print. Want to do a big boy review of the of the Lord of the Rings movie just to get started in our discussion of the movies? You ready? Yeah, go for it. Uh, the Lord of the Rings is the film adaptation of a 1954 novel of the same name by William Golding about the conflicting human impulses towards civilization and towards the will to power. The plot focuses on the survivors of a plane crash who happen to be all prepubescent or middle childhood boys. Two boys, the fair-haired Ralph and an overweight, bespectacled boy named Piggy, find a conch shell, which Ralph uses as a horn to convene all their survivors in one area. Ralph emerges as a natural leader, but another rival leader named Jack Meridu uh, has uh, forms of rival clan. Uh, the film climaxes in the death of bespectacled, overweight Piggy um, and indicates and really depicts the, the violence inherent um, in the human soul. I give, um, I don't know, I, I, liked, I liked it so much I, I read the book. I, I just feel like it really has a lot to say about the human condition. So I can see why it, it is, is so well-beloved. And I can see why uh, Peter Jackson was, was tasked with um, adapting it into a film after his work in Mortal Engines. What, what is this referring to? Thomas, did you not get any of that? No, I am I am completely <laughs> lost. I have no idea what this is. This is going to be the most millennial thing I say on this podcast, but I know the plot of this because of SpongeBob. Though actually I also did read the book, Lord of the Flies. <laughs> that Wait, what are we what are we talking about? Yeah, there was a SpongeBob adaptation of Lord of the Flies. Yeah, anyway. Talking about J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Flies. Lord the Lord of the Rings? Potatoes. I don't think that's entirely right, Chris. So nobody cares for the ants anymore. <laughs> but Chris, do you enjoy these movies? Have you seen all of them? I have, and uh, it was interesting watching them again because I watched the Fellowship of the Ring in the theater when it came out in uh, who knows which year it came out. Ninety nine, two thousand, two thousand one, two thousand one. I watched that in the theater, having not read the books. And I went and I read the books and then watched the second one, was very excited to watch it. And then I watched the third one when that came out. I was very excited to watch it. And I enjoyed them. And if you know anything about me, you know that my memory is slightly longer than that of a goldfish. (laughs) And so watching them again was like watching them for the first time. I mean, it had been years. I'll, I'll say this about them was that they're really made for fans of the books. If you don't know about the books, and this was like where my wife was back in the day when I was like, ah, oh, we gotta go to this movie with the, with the talking trees and and, <laughs> the, and, the, and the white wizard. And we went to these movies and she was just like, I have no idea what's going on. You can appreciate them, but there's so much that Tolkien does in the writing that explains the background. So it, it becomes to illustrate the weight of the ring becomes kind of obnoxious seeing Frodo like kind of his eyes gloss over and fall over because the ring was oppressing him. Suddenly Gandalf, they, suddenly they call him Mithrandir. Like they, 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 they call him by a different name and they don't explain that where it's easier to do that in a book. See all this stuff about Liv Tyler, about how she's dying. But then this like oh yeah well that was really random and also that that wasn't supposed to make sense they just invented that um that and was they're like 
that mountain has evil. And then suddenly Viggo rides into the mountain and, and gets a bunch of ghosts. Like depicting that in movie form, it, it just it doesn't work unless you have an appreciation for how Tolkien built the world and kind of explained all those things. Especially what's Miranda Otto's name? Eowyn. Um, a- yeah. Eowyn. She's like eye banging Viggo. And, <laughs> and yet like a Viggo is is kind of like digging Liv Tyler. So there's this weird love triangle that's not, not explained and they pan to her and then randomly to um, Thor's sister. It's hard if you you aren't a someone who knows the books uh, really uh, well. So, so first, fun trio fact. Instead of Liv Tyler, Peter Jackson actually wanted Uma Thurman. She uh, pulled out because she was pregnant at the time. I guess he didn't pull out. <laughs> <laughs> Grandma came to visit. I went and watched all of the movies again. I took Hannah's advice and I watched the extended versions of all of the movies. So I watched like, I don't know, is is that like 12 hours of Lord of the Rings over the past two weeks or something? It's a lot. Yeah, I mean, like each one of them is like three and a half hours or so. I was curious as to whether Chris had watched those because it really does make a, a big difference yeah. as far as comprehensibility of, of the universe. They fill in a lot of those gaps. I watched the ones on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. That's, they're the versions for the people. <laughs> for the people. And you're like, whoa, it's Magneto. It's not Count Dooku. <laughs> like, behold, the white wizard approaches. And oh, you, you know think that, it's and... going to be Count Dooku, but it's actually <laughs> Magneto. Like, they, they sent, I think they sent the script to Sean Connery and asked him to be Gandalf, and he, he was just like, I don't understand any of this. <laughs> I really enjoyed the extended versions, like just like Hannah says. I think they add a lot of a lot of context that isn't there in the theatrical releases and makes it better overall. Like it, it makes it much more enjoyable. Hannah, how do you how true do you think that Peter Jackson is to uh, to the original to the books? I think that he is true in broad strokes. He he's definitely a, a filmmaker with an instinct for spectacle, which is something <laughs> that, um, that is good for getting butts in movie seats, but is not necessarily true to Tolkien's, uh, Tolkien. I mean, Tolkien himself was, while he had a lot of battle scenes, he was shy of anything like graphic violence in the books. I don't think he wanted to, to glamorize it in any way as, or as, you know, as Faramir would say, he, he did not love the, the sword for its sharpness and the, or the sword for its glitter or whatever it was. And, and so he, the ethos of Tolkien is, is rather lost in, in Jackson's style, but at the same time he does uh, again, sort of through a Hollywood lens capture the big ideas of Tolkien in a way that, that we probably, you know, wouldn't have hoped for before the movies came out that to have someone who did, did, capture that like sam gamgee's big speech in the two towers isn't in the books but it's a very good summary of tolkien's oh the the one at the at, towards the end of the two towers yes yes they're in they're in osgiliath and frodo asks him right. why why you know why, what are we holding on to right uh, and uh that, that, that there's he, still he, some he, good in the world yes that's something that you can definitely find in tolkien's letters this this idea, which he actually drew from G.K. Chesterton, that the world is worth loving, even even if it is terrible and dark and 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 hopeless, it seems at least that there are good things that are worth loving in it. And there's this devotion to the flag of this world, a sort of patriotism to 
to Earth itself that motivates a lot of t- Tolkien's worldview. And it, that's, of course, drawn from his Christianity, but it, it's, uh, it's what motivates his heroes, even if they don't necessarily explicitly say it in the books all the time. But, but yeah, that whole speech that Sam gives, and it's the, the, the emotional and sort of moral high point of that movie, is it captures very well what Tolkien believed there. So, so yeah, things like that. Are you telling me that Tolkien in the books didn't have Gimli and Legolas counting how many people they killed? Actually, that was in the books. Was that really? <laughs> that was in the books. I'm pretty sure that they, like, they, they, it's not a running joke throughout the big battle scene, but at the end they, they do uh, compare body count, which I, I'm always... I'm slightly suspicious that Peter Jackson retconned into the books. I'm like, how did how did that get in there? What about the scene? I I'm not sure. I think it's Two Towers where uh, Gimli and Legolas when they were having a drinking contest. Is that in the books? Okay. Yes, that is definitely not in the books. <laughs> Thomas, I have a question for you. Oh God, what's this? Well, I, I was just curious if um if if you understood the elf language or if your language is is just a little bit different. Uh, I I used subtitles. I'm I mean, I was to curious as to whether you kind of saw this film as being like a documentary. Um, there was something I wanted to talk about instead of these stupid elf jokes. I've just got some rapid fire questions for Hannah. Okay. I'm ready. Okay, so so I, I mean, I just noticed some things, and I have some questions. So they enter is a Fanghorn forest, and I mean, Gimli noticed there's there's a fluid on a leaf, and he tastes yeah. it, and he says orc blood. So first <laughs> of all. Why would you taste random forest forest juice? <laughs> Second of all, why does he know the taste of orc blood distinct from any other blood? Does he generally do blood tasting? So like we do wine tastings and blind tastings would would uh, dwarves like is it a thing to just taste different kinds of blood so in case you're in a forest you might be able to lick it off of a leaf i think that's probably part of their training as as dwarves coming up in the the lonely mountain army is is being able to distinguish between different blood tastes that that's just one of the one of the things you have to learn like oh this is elf blood taste oh this you know etc etc i mean it's, uh, okay, okay. F- follow follow up dwarf question how the fuck does he not know that no one's alive in the mines of moria anymore it seemed like they had been dead for some time when they I arrived there i don't think there's an internet uh, i do actually have a real answer for that one that, that his cousin had gone to the mines of moria like 30 some years ago and uh, was going to establish a new kingdom there, and they just kind of hadn't heard from them because word travels really slowly on Middle Earth, apparently. Um, because nobody no eagles, the Palantirs. It's it, you know, it's just something that only certain people have. So anyway, like they they were, he was convinced that he was his cousin was still there and had just been ghosting him for thirty years. <laughs> uh, and like you know, it would totally be fine to go into this place where you know three thousand well not three thousand years ago, but many years ago, all of the dwarves had been murdered by some mysterious thing. Uh, I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> okay, I'm sure it's fine. Yeah. Chris, go on. I just want a scale of hotness: cream of worm tongue, urukai orc, dwarf. Could you rank them in just like general <laughs> hotness? Okay, so it really matters which dwarf here, um, but Grima is obviously the the ugliest. Um, it also right. probably depends on which orc, but um, but yeah, I mean, I w- I'm gonna put the orc in the middle. Dwarf wise, if I'm going to choose the hottest dwarf, then uh, are, are we just talking Lord of the Rings dwarf? Just or- Lord of the Rings, no Hobbit oh. dwarves. Oh, okay, all right. Well, 
that that complicates matters. I mean, the only real dwarf with any speaking any any lines is Gimli, but you know, still he's not an orc. You know, he's got to have have a, a bit of a step up on on the orcs, <laughs> on the hotness scale. Not not that anyone is doing very well here. How about Ned Stark's dad? Uh, what oh. is he? Um... Oh, well, he's he's <laughs> very attractive. He's very uh, attractive, I'm... really. Okay. Yes. Like as he's, he's just so... like draping his son Faramir in 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 flammable oh, oil. Dad. His and dad. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, yeah. Okay, I thought you meant Ned Stark himself. No, 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 no. Oh, Ned okay. Stark's dad. Well, I mean, like you're you're asking me to compare everyone to orcs, and, and <laughs> <laughs> that's just gonna make anybody and come Grima. off. Grima. Grima's not an orc. Orcs and Grima is what I'm saying. Like you know, no one compared to, to compared to Grima and the orcs, and I, I ranked Grima below the orcs, so nobody's gonna. So gonna you, come off you might be that. into some urukai then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The big muscle, muscly guys. You know, they work out, uh, do a lot of running around after after people for for the wizards. Apparently, you know, but if it was a choice between them and Grima, Wormtongue is all I'm saying. So how come Vigo can't grow a beard until he's crowned king? Like at the end of the movie, suddenly he's got this like full beard. Oh, that well, that's, movie, he's got this. Yeah, I think that's just thing. that's like you once you unlock that level, like king level. Then like, you you're allowed a king level beard. Like otherwise, up. yeah, it's like the um. Otherwise, it, he just has like the neck beard of sorrow. I'm pretty sure that's the thing <laughs> where like every time someone on on a TV show is sad or has lost someone who's important to them, they grow a neck beard of sorrow. Yeah, I, I think I think he's just kind of in that transition period where he's just really sad about everything, and you can't really have a full beard, but you just kind of have this like scruff to let people know, oh, you know, I, I'm I'm deep. I'm a I'm a writer. I'm a. Uh, I'm haunted. I'm haunted. Yeah, I'm haunted by yeah. 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 Like, okay. Okay. All right. So, question. Uh, Tolkien. Um, he's known to be a devout Baptist. Um, why is there so much dancing in the movie? Yeah. True. True. That that is that is a flaw. Um, we you know we Baptists we don't t- tend to uh, tend to smile on on that sort of thing, um, and you just kind of have to 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 accept that sometimes there are, are imperfect movies that they just have sinful behavior in them who was Tolkien in the movies was he the one that was holding the ring the whole time oh that he was, was fair he was the lord of the rings Faramir <laughs> yeah that's the plot twist at the end is you realize Sauron was Tolkien all along so the writers of Ruhypnol like so <laughs> <laughs> they they um were distinct from Minas Tirith what was that land called Gondor Tell, tell me about the difference between those those uh, those places. Like we know of like two different races of white guys, and then like there's the evil ones with dark skin from the south. We don't talk much about them, <laughs> but they they ally, yeah. ally themselves with Mordor. Um, but what's the difference between the Ruhypnol riders and the and the Gond- Gondorians? This is a mythology answer again. What happened was. The children of men were born in Middle Earth, but some of them uh, sailed out to the island of Numenor and lived there for a while. And the Numenorians lived within the shadow of the Undying Lands. They lived much longer than, than men on Earth. I, I, as I recall, it's been I, I read the Silmarillion earlier earlier this year, so I <laughs> I shouldn't be blanking on all of this. But it was their association with the High Elves and with the people of Valinor, which is. Uh, basically, where all of the the gods were, and and uh, the the Valar rather, it's you know they they refer to them as the gods at some point, but they're really the Valar. Anyway, that 
because because of their uh, association with with those forces, they their culture is distinctly different. Of course, around in the middle of the second age, Numenor sinks below the ocean because basically they made God mad. Sauron came in, and I think there was some human sacrifice going on, and and uh, so like like the sinking of Atlantis, Tolkien sank the island of Numenor. The Gondorians ended up on their ships, went back to Middle Earth where they set up their kingdom, and so that's why they're culturally distinct from everyone else in middle earth and why they live so much longer so for instance aragorn is 87 in the movies which chris doesn't know because he didn't watch the extended edition there you go how many kingdoms of men are there so there's uh there's the gondoliers there's <laughs> yeah. uh, the riders the, of rhipnol the um glands there's yeah. and the haradrim count the culture of mithras uh there's the uh, what are the what's the deal with the eagles? So, in Lord of the Rings, <laughs> they show up they in the final battle. Like suddenly they're like eagles and they stare at the sky. And there's like so I understand like they're in the Hobbit. Like I, I get it. I've read the Hobbit. Um, and there are these eagles that bail them out at some point. But like, I think it's interesting. And again, this this is this goes to my point where like I, I feel like these are made for fans who have this knowledge previous knowledge of giant eagles and um they have to appear at the last battle because they have to rescue sam and frodo from is it mountain doom yes oh, mountain that's, doom. That's an ominous sounding mountain yeah but like what's the deal with the eagles like was there more in the book about the eagles or did they just suddenly show up at the end yeah the, the eagles are i mean a lot of people consider them the deus ex machina move of tolkien I don't think they are. They he he leaves their origins mysterious. Um, you assume that there's some sort of spiritual significance to them just because of the way they interact with Gandalf, who is himself a spiritual figure in, in a way that the other characters are not. So there there's there is a, a bit of a mystery for for like why he is able to contact them when no one else is. In the book, uh, does, does it have him contacting them? Because they just show up in the movie. Yeah, well, in the movie, they actually invent a way for him to do that. They kind of come with the the, the moth the moth method um, oh, right. to yeah. to explain, which apparently, like, he speaks to moths or something, which is a totally normal thing to do, and I he's probably not had too much yeah. typing. But like, um, it took like three seconds for the moth to summon the eagles. <laughs> yeah, well, like, those hey, moths. Go get the eagles. Like, okay. You know, they're, they're special, like, high-speed moths. So then the eagles turn up and then take you wherever you want to go, except only when it's convenient for the plot and, and for Tolkien not to get between <laughs> can I, locations. Can I say what the absolute... So there's a lot that's really good about these movies. The scenery is amazing. Um, I love, I, I, I love like, the mythology, the Ents, about how, like, they sit down and talk, and they're like, it takes a long time, long time to discuss things, and they don't discuss things that don't take a long time to discuss... I love that. Like, he's convinced, like, by him. What's the line about, like, yes, but you are very small. You know, I, we're convinced of our thing, but you're probably right because you're very small. Um, there's a really good line with that. But the, the absolute worst scene in the entire movie is when it depicts Gandalf fighting with the Balrog. And I don't mean falling. I mean when he's, like, on the top of this thing with his sword and all, like, here's how he kills the Balrog, and you guys can't see me, but he just like takes the sword and he just goes, Aah! and he like thrusts it like straight in the air, and like right into the Balrog. You know what I'm talking about? Do you remember this? Yeah, yeah. He's he's like, falling. It's at the beginning of the second movie. Yes. Yeah. There's like there's like no skill to it. He just like takes the sword and he like puts it above his head and somehow kills this giant. Like it's weakness, 
is a direct on attack. Is it possible that the Balrog can't see directly in front of it? I mean, it's true. It doesn't. It doesn't look like it would be a creature with with a, a great amount of peripheral vision with those enormous horns and everything, especially when you're falling like a thousand feet. No, I think they're just like facing off on top of this thing. Like they're just oh, standing yeah, that's there. Right at, at the very end, where he's just and he like, goes, yeah, yeah. That that one that was a bit green green screen tastic in in its. Uh, and they're like, uh, hey, Magneto, just like just lift up the sword and make it noise. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. And we'll add a bunch of light, and you'll just stab him in the chest, and he won't know it's coming. Like, uh, he won't suspect a frontal attack. Ian McKellen's choreography is not terribly complicated in these movies. Uh, so, okay. so ignore Chris for a second. So, what is the significance of that? So, like, what? What? Explain this to me. What exactly happens when he go, goes from being Gandalf the Gray to being Gandalf the White? Duh, he's white. Gosh, he gets some Tide and a washing machine. <laughs> it's a Tide Dad. It's it's Tide Pods. Yeah, he's he's been he stops chewing them and decides to use them on his clothes. Yeah, it just turns out like you know he turns around and he's actually David Harbor and and the whole thing has been a Tide Act. Okay, right, well, so Ryan, at what point did you say no F you to this movie? Well, when I woke up for the second time from falling asleep and there was still like an hour and fifteen minutes left, and I went back to sleep. So I I've seen a good third of this movie in different <laughs> sections i did see the part where he was like telling him that he shall not pass hannah what do you have any favorite scenes or parts of the movies that you thought were really well done or that you especially like it's really difficult for me to look at the movies with anything approaching objectivity because <laughs> uh well i mean seriously i, I like I, I when i was about nine years old, my dad told me I could not watch the, the movies until I read the book. So I read the book and then watched the movies and they were the definitive imaginary influence on, I mean, they, they were just the story that defined my childhood in so many ways. Um, I mean, to the, the extent that I have a, a, a testimony, it, it, they really kind of introduced me to the gospel. And so there's a, there's a lot of like emotion that's tied up in, in these. So anyway, that's a long way of, of getting to the fact that I can't look at them very objectively. But um, I really do love uh, the, um, the scene in the third movie. And I'm not sure if this is in the, the, the extended edition. I think it's the, just the extended edition where Gandalf and Pippin are talking about heaven and the Undying Lands, and that's that's a lovely scene. The scenes in the first film, which I've, I've actually learned to appreciate more as I got older, I, I appreciate. I really liked the, the first, the last two movies when I was a kid because there's lots of battle scenes and it's mm-hmm. much cooler. Um, but as I grew, I, looking at the first one, which I think is the best, the scenes with with Boromir, Sean Bean, he's just so good in those. I really love. In the second movie, the Battle of Helm's Deep, I, I love everything about it. When the elves show up right before the battle, and then in the middle of it, or is it like towards the end where Gandalf also shows up? I just, I that's that's a great like battle scene. Then towards the end of the movie, the scene that you mentioned earlier with Sam giving that speech, I really liked yeah. that speech, and I had no idea that wasn't actually in the book. But I think I it think wasn't, that, but but it does summarize a scene in the book where a lot of those lines occur. It's just, it's okay. sort of reordered and rewritten slightly. But yeah, I love the scene too, where, where Gandalf appears on the hill. It's just one of the most hopeful images yeah. where they've been through a really long night and suddenly there's this, uh, you know, and, and Tolkien actually 
worked hard to include moments like that because he considered that one of the crucial elements of a fairy tale and he called it a eucatastrophe where the, it's the sudden joyous turn at the end of the night where where the light finally shines through and um it's a, a eucatastrophe so, the of catastrophe so you yeah. said like that part wasn't in the in the books you think was Tolkien oh, was. on on set did he maybe write it for the movie <laughs> i think i think they had him on set to to add like little bits of dialogue yeah oh, like the, well that's cool i'm glad he got to do that like you know some of the like part jokes and and stuff like that <laughs> i realize that that Gollum or Schmigol, i realize that he is crucial for a plot and he is important and and what he symbolizes like that matters but dear god i hate that character like on screen i hate everything about it like i can't even look at him when 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 even when he's just eating bread in the swamp i just want to look away i don't know they should just have killed him off much earlier like frodo should have let sam kill him and it would have been much better i'm not sure how they would have found mordor they could have used their gps or google maps or something I think that Gollum is really endearing in the movies. I don't know. Did Andy Serkis win anything for, for, for that? I assume he didn't. It's actually, he hasn't won anything for his mocap performances because, or at least he hasn't won like Oscars because of the, the difficulty. They they don't allow mocap. Right, yeah. right. Wasn't there a couple of years ago, wasn't there a couple of years ago like a campaign to have him win something for... Was whatever? it for one of the Planet of the Apes movies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah excellent yeah. in those too. Yeah, it's kind of. I think it was a one-man campaign. Does kind of get a wrong. <laughs> we just want an exception. You think, just for you one think Andy Circus is uh, creating a bunch of websites and a bunch of accounts and starting <laughs> petitions on his own? Yeah, the Andy Circus fan site. <laughs> so Gandalf shows up with Bones McCoy, and his like, like Bo So Bones leaves the camp with like he's kicked out two hundred riders, but when he shows up with Gandalf, why does he have like? 4,000 riders and turn the tide. Well, uh... Like, how do they, how do they multiply? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's... I don't think they actually explain that in the movie. In the books, it wasn't actually Eomer that came back with Gandalf. The, I guess the, I guess the implication could be in the films that, that he was... He was out with a, a raiding party when he ran into Aragorn and Legolas and, and Gimli earlier in the film, but that he... That they were just a part of all of the exiled soldiers, that there was a full army out there somewhere. What actually what was what happened in the books was that there was another commander like on the other end of the country and he Gandalf just decided to go and get him and I can't remember what his name was but they turned up just at the nick of time. <laughs> yeah, of course they. Like, did. Why? Why did they get them earlier? Well, I mean, you can only would have been a good idea, I think. Okay. No. Right. How do you like the Hobbit movies? The word "like" is incorrect to use in any sense uh, <laughs> of my feelings for the Hobbit movies. Um, I still remember that youthful, youthful enthusiasm I had. I was posting all the, the, the images from the set. I was so excited because they were going to make sequels to my or prequels to my favorite movie. And uh, anyway, the, the, it's this is why I'm cynical and I don't trust humanity now. I'm telling you, Ryan, if you don't like Fellowship of the Ring, you would really hate the Hobbit movies. <laughs> you really would, yes. Do you have anything else you would like to add that people should know about Tolkien or Lord of the Rings? In general, I don't know. I mean, it's, go read more of it. There, he, he wrote other things besides the Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit that were, were fun to read. Farmer, Farmer Giles of Ham is is a lot of fun. I, I recommend that one as, as just one of his fun things that are not in Middle Earth. 
that are worth reading. Go uh, go learn uh, Elvish so that I can have conversations. Basically, so that Thomas can understand us. Before we call it a day, I believe that, Ryan, you have a movie quote for us. Okay. Bilbo, you bastard! This has got to stop! I labeled them. I put them in your little baby tiny fridge with my name on them, and you ruined them. Just because you crocheted yourself that sash that says the Lord of the Rings does not give you the right to prima nocta with my chicken rings. You <laughs> ruined them. Or however many you can fit on your Viggo Mortensen. What is it, six or seven that have slightly more stretched out rings there? And did you sit on this one? It was uh, Sir Ian McKellen in The Lord of the Rings. I, I'm not sure that I can ever claim to be a, a Tolkien scholar after this. Uh, what, was that, what, was that in the extended version? I might have missed that. <laughs> I believe that is all the time we are giving to this episode. Ryan, thank you for joining us for the last five minutes. <laughs> I was here about as much of the movie that I watched. <laughs> Chris, do you have anything else? No, I'm... I'm no. Uh, Hannah, thank you for coming on. Yeah, thank I'm, you for having me. I'm sti- still disappointed that uh, you didn't do well on the Virginia quiz. Uh, <laughs> you, uh, you get to practice before the next time you come on, but that time it might be all West Virginia questions. Uh, all right. That's what I was expecting. <laughs> There's two Virginias. It's all the same. There's no difference. Thanks, everyone. Good night and good luck. <laughs> Good night and good luck. I'm worried. seem to have some concerns yeah. about how they were going to open the, the door to Moria. Did I? Because I got to be honest, I don't even know what you're talking about right now. <laughs> Did I ask well, you about like, that? Was I like, worried about opening the door? There's a stone wall here and we don't know the key. Like, we don't have the key. And they like have a riddle or something? Is that? Yeah, Gandalf like turns to Frodo and says, why don't you try one, two, three, four, five? <laughs> All right. So <laughs> maybe the password is password. But they didn't and try password, did they? <laughs> that's true. They they really should have. Or maybe so that's what, did, what So what did trying. they do? How did they get in? The riddle's really obvious. Oh, yeah, that's it right. Evolves, it is obvious. Never mind. Like I, I got it. Tentacle monster first. Isn't uh, there a tentacle monster? There is. There is there a is. tentacle monster. Yes. Uh, so, so Ryan, I, I was water. trying Ryan, I was trying to get you to talk about the penis, but you wouldn't. And so... <laughs> Where did that come from? This is the first oh, time ever that I, Ryan... That's... Oh, declined right. talk yeah. about his penis. Now <laughs> I remember. I did text you about that. I thought they might have needed Viggo Mortensen to open that door. <laughs> He's known for having his pants off in movies, and I thought, oh, well, maybe <laughs> it's a penis password, and he's got to come up. <laughs> what would do what, Ryan? Whatever you would do, I don't know. I've never had one of those doors. So. <laughs>